This is The Guardian. Today, why did one woman's disappearance become a social media feeding frenzy? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm in the village of St. Michael's on wire in Lancashire, sort of halfway between Preston and Blackpool. Um, I'm at the bench where Nicola Bully was last seen just over three weeks ago. Um, there are yellow ribbons tied to it. There's a handful of dog walkers have um, wandered past over the past couple of hours. Nicola was a familiar face on this dog walking route. She was a member of the local community and she's gone. My colleague Josh Halliday is one of many reporters who've spent time in St Michael's since Nicola Bully was reported missing. Nicola was 45 years old. She had a partner called Paul and two daughters. After she dropped them off at school one morning recently, she vanished. Police said they thought she'd fallen into the River Wire, which runs through this small village where she lived and out to the Irish Sea. It's a cliche that journalists use um, to describe crime scenes a lot of the time. It's a tight-knit area, but this does feel like a tight-knit area. There's um, a tiny school, a pub, a petrol station. There are a number of small businesses, farms, and that's about it. Nicola's disappearance seemed so mysterious... And as the police made details public, the conspiracy theories started because some people didn't trust what the police were telling them. In 29 years police service, I've never seen anything like it. Some of it's been quite shocking and really hurtful to the family. And so social media users turned themselves into amateur detectives. They swarmed the village, searching for Nicola, taking selfies at the spot where she was last seen and flying drones overhead. Meanwhile, the news channels had the story covered 24-7. This is a village that has fell under siege for the last three weeks. It's a a very small place and something like this will be felt very deeply by them. And I think even more so the sense that they've been trampled on by outsiders. On Monday, the search for Nicola came to an end when Lancashire police confirmed that a body found in the river was hers. Our family liaison officers have had to confirm our worst fears today. We will never be able to comprehend what Nikki had gone through in her last moments, and that will never leave us. Her family has said that the press and members of the public 
have treated them in an appalling way. And they've made it clear they now want to be allowed to grieve. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus. Why did the search for Nicola Bully turn toxic? Robin Vinter, you're a North of England correspondent for The Guardian. And alongside Josh Halliday, who we just heard, you've been reporting on Nicola's disappearance. What is it, do you think, about the details of what happened to her that's caused so much interest from the media and from the public? I think on the surface of it, it seemed such a mystery. Uh, A woman who vanished into thin air. She'd dropped her children off at school that morning and then was taking the dog for a walk. Her phone had been left on a bench and it was still logged on to a, a work team's call. And the harness of her dog was on the floor and her dog was loose in the field. And the bench is really right next to the River Wire. I suppose the way it was presented to people made it feel very relatable. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's something I heard time and time again, actually. A lot of people drop their children off at school in the morning and then go and walk their dog while they're listening to a work call. There's something incredibly relatable about that. What kind of information were the police putting out in the first week or so of her disappearance? Initially, the police asked for dash cam footage from vehicles and anyone who might have been in the area to get in touch with them and report what they what they might have seen. It was quite clear early on that the police, they they thought she'd gone in the river. And so people in the local community were looking along the riverbank. And then as the days went on, people from outside the area got involved, didn't they? Yeah, it was probably only after about a week of her being missing that people from outside the area started to arrive in St Michael's. The community have actually sort of organised their own search. So you go to local tennis clubs at Michael's on Wire. We have maps printed. Anybody wants to come along, join the search um, and just do anything we possibly can to bring Nikki home. Um, she's got two little girls wanting a mummy. So anybody's got any, any information, please just come forward. We don't know what, why she's missing, where she is. We just want her home. It is a rural area and there there would have been a lot of land to cover and a lot of riverbank to cover. So those kind of pairs of eyes are, are very useful and very needed. But what also happened was people were coming from outside to take pictures of the sea, to sit on the bench and take a selfie and put that on social media or to make uh, TikTok and YouTube videos. People been walking past the bench. There's no police tape up. This would normally be a sealed off with the, as a crime scene. There's that gate which goes to the caravan site. There's the bench. Nobody's even mentioned about that gate. And it did get to the point where they had become quite a nuisance, I think, to the police. Some of them were going and confronting people. It doesn't say that it's private property. There's no sign saying it is. There's a sign at the bottom of the slope down there as you come up to the river. We didn't say anything. The gate's locked. That gate's locked. They were going around abandoned buildings. Uh, there were certain certain kind of hot spots that, you know, attracted a lot of conspiracy theories. So there's a caravan park very nearby um, and a lot of people on social media were speculating that somebody in the caravan park had taken her. Uh, and of course, police had searched the caravan park and they'd searched all the caravans. We've only a 10 minute window in which we cannot account for Nicola's movements. 
The inquiry team has undertaken a number, as I said, of dash cam, CCTV and ring doorbell footages. This has allowed us to eliminate any trace so far of Nicola having left the Riverside, which is really important. But, you know, that wasn't enough for a lot of people on social media. So the police had to put in place a dispersal order so that they could get rid of nuisance influences. So you had some people coming in from outside who were there with the aim of of trying to help find Nicola. And you had others who were engaging in what you might call grief tourism. Some of them had come from really far away. Some people had come from America. You know, why? what, what appeals to people about doing that? There's kind of a scale with these kind of things. There were people who lived locally who were just a bit suspicious of whether the police were doing a good, a good job with the case. So I spoke to quite a few different people and there was kind of a few common themes recurring. So almost all of them didn't trust the police's official account of what they believed happened and the evidence that was there. There are a lot of videos and photos being shared in Facebook groups that were fake. So I spoke to the guy who set up one of the Facebook groups and he was saying he'd had to get 15 volunteer moderators in to be deleting videos. And then there was kind of a, a subset of people who were almost creating fake content uh, to share in these groups. To see some of the vile speculation online, some of the theories that are incredibly, incredibly hurtful. I don't think people are realising that the family are sitting at home and able to access and see all of that. In one of the Facebook groups, someone had shared a video from TikTok where someone had supposed that there was a tunnel uh, underneath the river between these two buildings that someone could have kidnapped her and dragged her through a tunnel underneath the river. Um, and the, the tunnel doesn't exist. It was just completely made up, I think, in, in very poor faith. Did people have theories about who might be responsible for her disappearance? What came up time and time again was that the family was somehow involved, especially her partner. So um, her partner, Paul Ansell, had done a few interviews quite early on as any worried relative is in front of the camera. He'd been a bit uncomfortable in some ways. I just can't believe that they were a week on. And as yet, it, it seems like we're no further on. It just, just seems, it just seems absolutely impossible. Just, just like a dream. I just can't, cannot get my head around any of it. And there were TikTok and YouTube so-called body language experts, which is just a pseudoscience. You know, I saw this one video where a body language expert had said, that shows that he's hiding something. And it was just rubbish. It was absolute rubbish. And there were a lot of people as well looking at the family's uh, financial records and going through family members' Facebook pages, thinking that they could be the person to find this crucial bit of evidence. Somebody contacted me saying, I've looked at pictures of the scene. She could have sunk into the mud. A psychic in Germany sent me some coordinates of, of where he believed she was. I've covered a few missing persons cases before and I've never had anything like this. And the police have said exactly the same thing as well. Do you think the police were prepared for all these influencers and members of the public trying to turn detective, you know, as if this was a true crime case? Not at all, no. And I think 
with missing missing persons cases, you know, there are thousands of them every year and most of them only ever get as far as the local newspaper, if at all they they even make it into the press. And I think the police had probably been thinking along those lines. I remember when I first heard the news bulletin about it, I was like, wow, this is they they're giving a lot of attention to this case very early on. The kind of lack of information that the police provided quite early on that it left the door open to uh, concerns that she might have been taken or something might have happened to her um, that wasn't as straightforward as she'd gone in the river. And I think once that narrative had kind of been set that anything could have happened to her, the police had so much trouble getting it all under control at that point. And while this whole circus was going on with influencers uh, reporting conspiracy theories, Nicola's family were raising concerns with the way that the police were handling the case. Her sister, Louise Cunningham, put out this post on Facebook saying that there was no evidence whatsoever that Nicola had fallen into the river. And we've just got to keep such an open mind with everything because we just have no idea where she is. It's like she's just vanished into thin air. How do you think that played into the doubts in the public's mind. It's really tricky with these kind of cases because the family members never want to believe that their loved one is dead. Um, and it's understand, you know, it's human. It's yeah, completely it understandable that that you cling to any kind of hope offered by anybody, even even where it's quite implausible. I think that's something that maybe the public don't understand very much as well. That if the family are clinging to hope that their loved one could be alive and and exploring theories that maybe aren't that plausible. It doesn't necessarily mean that there was something wrong with the police investigation. And the public's trust in the police has been severely damaged in the past few years, hasn't it? For example, by the case of Wayne Cousins, a serving officer who murdered Sarah Everard, you know, by the way that officers mishandled the deaths of Bieber Henry and Nicole Smallman, the fact that the Met has set up an entire unit to investigate its own officers over sexual offences. How do you think that overall mistrust of the police that's in the air at the moment played into the public's perception of how Lancashire police were dealing with this? Yeah, I think it was probably quite significant that Public mistrust of the police when it comes to cases involving women really does go back decades. If you look at cases like uh, the Yorkshire Ripper, uh, Peter Peter Sutcliffe, you know, women died because the police didn't investigate that case properly. That's been in people's minds for decades. And I think the conversation recently about uh, cases involving women that the police have been shown to have either made mistakes or covered up wrongdoing the police really underestimated how much mistrust there was. The police weren't doing interviews, but you did have a few sort of experts coming out and giving their theories. There was this diving expert doing loads of interviews on TV and in the newspapers. Can you tell me about him? He's called Peter Folding. He owns a company and one of the things that the company does is forensic uh, underwater search. They've got this equipment which they believe is amongst the best in the country and what it will allow them to do is to put this uh, sonar, what it's called, into the water and it will... He arrived not long after Nicola had gone missing after saying he would 
be able to find her if he was able to search the river. From what I can tell, he contacted the family and offered his services for free. So he wasn't invited by police and he certainly wasn't leading the search, which is what was reported quite a bit. For me, there were some alarm bells ringing at that point because it is very, very unusual for anyone involved in the case to speak to the media at all. But what happened over the days after that was he became almost the voice of the case. I personally don't think she's in the river. That's just my gut instinct at this point. I may be proved wrong later on, but the police have done a fantastic search already with their existing resources, plus their sonar. Now we've got our sonar. We're searching where the bench is tomorrow up the river. And one of his theories uh, was that she'd run off with a lover, which just made absolutely no sense you know there's first of all the police were quite sure that she hadn't left the field on foot and of course police had her phone and they had spoken to all of her family and friends and there was absolutely no indication whatsoever that she had a lover that she had run off with and yet he was saying that to the press and and certain newspapers were using that as if it was a legitimate theory Mm. Um, and that is kind of the problem, really, when the police don't have much to say. And I, I, I sympathize a bit with the police in, in this case, because when you've got a missing person and you're fairly sure that they're in the river and you're doing your best to search and you're doing your best to find them, but actually you're not finding them. You know, there isn't very much to say every day. So the police then found themselves in this position of needing to respond to that hunger for more information. So almost three weeks after Nicola went missing, on February the 15th, Lancashire Police held a press conference. Thank you, everyone. Can you uh, can you hear me OK here? And it was then that they revealed that Nicola had some vulnerabilities that were of particular concern to them. As soon as she was reported missing... Following the information that was provided to the police by her partner, Paul, and based on a number of specific vulnerabilities that we were made aware of, Nicola was graded as high risk. That is normal. Why did the police say that they were holding that press conference? What was the justification for it? I think the speculation had got really out of hand and the police felt like they really had to justify why their main hypothesis was that she fell in the river. By explaining that she had some vulnerabilities, I think they had hoped that, that would be enough. They took questions at the end and it was something that was asked over and over again. Mm. What are these vulnerabilities? And you could see that, you know, they were squirming a little bit because they were so worried about giving out too much information. And then it was a couple of hours after that press conference that a statement came through by by email from the police that said that she'd suffered from issues with alcohol brought on by struggling with the menopause. And I think it was it was probably a cat-handed way of trying to mediate the line about her suffering from alcoholism. They were worried about her not being sympathetic, but it just backfired horribly. The Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, is understood to have raised concerns with Lancashire Police after they made public personal information about them. And it was seen as releasing personal information about somebody who could still be alive. It had a huge backlash, didn't it? I mean, Mm. even right up to the Prime Minister criticised their release of that information. Have Lancashire Police conceded that they should have handled that element of the case differently? 
No, they're holding an internal review into the way that the case was conducted and the way that the communications were put out. Since that blew up, they've been a lot more reserved in dealing with the media. So during the search, a body was found and they held a press conference. Sadly, we are now now able to confirm that yesterday we recovered Nicola Bully from the River Wire. And previously they'd held it inside the police headquarters. This one was held outside with no questions from the media. They read two statements and there was a real sense that actually something had broken between the media and the police. I think the police felt like the the press, you know, wasn't wasn't on their side and wasn't being fair. On Monday, after the police confirmed that the body found in the river was Nicola's, her family released a statement. Our girls will get the support they need from the people who love them the most. And it saddens us to think that one day we will have to explain to them that the press and members of the public accuse their dad of wrongdoing, misquoted and vilified friends and family. This is absolutely appalling. In it, they criticised the press for misrepresenting members of the family and for contacting them after they'd asked for privacy. Can you explain why Nicola's family are so angry, it seems, at the way her disappearance has been reported. In a lot of these kind of missing person cases, the police will advise the family not to speak to the media. In this case, what had happened was uh, some uh, news organisations had contacted the family regardless of, of what the police had advised. And the family were open to speaking to them and the family did some interviews for these media organizations it probably felt like they built up a bit of a rapport with the family you know they were able to text Paul Nicola's partner and he would respond and I think then when Nicola's body was identified the police had put out a line that asked the media to respect the family's privacy those organizations had felt like they had built up a, a relationship with the family probably felt like that didn't apply to them and the family felt different. We tried last night to take in what we have been told in the day, only to have Sky News and ITV making contact with us directly when we expressly asked for privacy. Nicola's family specifically criticised the way Sky News and ITV had dealt with them And Ofcom, the media regulator, has put out a statement since saying it's extremely concerned and that it's written to the bosses of those channels asking them to explain their actions. What do you think the mainstream media should learn from the way that that we've reported on Nicola's disappearance? I think we've got a lot to learn in terms of whether we decide that we're going to chase social media or or whether we decide that we're going to report things in a lot of cases where someone's speculating on something at the guardian we're very careful about researching you know who they are what their expertise is what their background is what their connection to the case is it really is a delicate balancing act reporting on people who are going through grief one minute 
they may feel able to and want to talk to the media. And the next minute, they absolutely do not feel able to. I'd imagine there have been difficult moments along the way for you as a reporter, knowing how to weigh that up. I've had a a couple of situations before historically where I've uh, gone to interview somebody and they didn't look okay. And the kind of things that they said, I thought that they would really regret and that they'd feel very upset about later. Mm. Um, and, And I've said, let's pick this up later on when, you know, when you've had a bit of time to grieve and a bit of time to think about it. I think the important thing was was to make sure we were keeping keeping up with reporting on it because there's so much misinformation out there that actually, you know, there needs to be somewhere where people can go to understand what's really happening. Coming up, how can the police improve their communication in an age of social media conspiracy theories? Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Today in Focus is supported by better help. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus. Robin, the commanding officers of every police force across the country are going to be looking at this case and thinking, what can we learn from it? What do you think the police should take from the way that that Lancashire police have handled this in terms of how to communicate with the media and how to communicate with the public when somebody goes missing? Yeah, I think there are some enormous challenges for the police I think one thing that they might be looking at now is um, historically 
Janice and the police maybe had a bit of an adversarial relationship sometimes, but actually it was a much closer relationship. Even just 10 years ago, if you worked on a local paper, you would every morning call the local CID to find mm. out what you know yeah. what they were working on. I remember doing that, yeah. But we don't do that anymore. Everything goes through the press office. Some police forces are still quite good at it. And I'm hoping there might be a bit more of a return to that because I think it's helpful for everybody. I think the second thing is as well, I don't know what the police are going to do about social media. It's something that really we haven't ever dealt with before. As the media, we can make agreements with the police to say, okay, we will not approach the family, but it doesn't stop TikTokers, you know, peering through people's windows and it doesn't stop YouTubers flying drones over people's houses and it doesn't stop Facebook groups speculating and people making fake videos and sharing them online. In this case, I think certainly isn't the last time that we're going to have seen this. Well, what are the bosses of those social media platforms saying in response, if anything, to this? So TikTok have put out a statement saying they're taking action against violations of their community guidelines. And in the case of Nicola Bully, that their thoughts were with their friends and family. But TikTok is hugely, hugely pushing these live videos, live streaming, and, and it's very, very rewarding for people to to do those videos. There are things that you will see on social media that, as the media, we would never, ever put out. So, mm. for example, the the day the day that um, a, the body was pulled from the river, somebody had made a video of of that, put it online, and thousands and thousands of people had seen it. Social media platforms need to take a much, much more strident stance. The journalists, the TikTokers, the members of the public will all be leaving St Michael's on Wire now. And what has been a very public story will kind of become smaller and more personal. There'll be a post-mortem and there'll be an inquest that will determine how Nicola died. Do you think that that'll quell the conspiracy theories and allow her family and her friends to grieve? I think that's the worrying thing about social media and about the nature of conspiracy theories, that actually there's really no guarantee that this will go away. And there's no guarantee that the speculation over the family will go away. Police, right at the very start, ruled out Paul Ansel, Nicola's partner, as having any involvement in the case. But yet there was a swathe of people on social media that just not willing to accept, you know, the truth, essentially. Conspiracy theories are a big problem. And in that, people forget that there was a person at the centre of this and there's a family and friends who are grieving for her. Yeah, that's right. And also a whole community, really, where people will not be the same as they were before this happened. You know, there'll be a time before Nicola Bully went missing and a a time since. And I think there's quite a naivety among amongst some people about truly how horrific it, it is for something like this to happen to you and about the kind of lasting impact and people whose lives will, will just never be the same. Robin, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Robin Vinter and before her, Josh Halliday. You can keep up with their work at theguardian.com. I know that what we've discussed today might have affected you. 
And whatever you're going through, you can talk to Samaritans for free any time of the day or night by calling 116-123 or emailing joe, that's J-O, at samaritans.org. This episode was produced by Ruth Abrahams and sound designed by Solomon King. The executive producer was Hummer Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.